Jason Gallion, the Vice President of Indiana Bible College, and I'd like to thank you for stopping by the IBC Podcast. Indiana Bible College trains tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It's always a delight and a privilege to be asked uh, to preach this uh, at this great pulpit and, and this great uh, place of influence. Uh, it's interesting to me. I've lived long enough. I turned, I, I mentioned this at preview and students, I think, were a little shocked. I don't know if that was good or bad, but I turned 50 uh, in this last July. Oh. And I am, uh, yeah, that's how I feel sometimes in the morning. Woo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I, uh, I'm, I'm in a unique uh, position, a position of transition. It's interesting. It's transition. It's harder getting out of bed some days. That's true. How'd you hurt your back? I was just sleeping. I was just sleeping. This must be hard work. I don't know. And, uh, but I, I'm in a unique situation, and I, I love walking in here every day, and I love my church. I give honor uh, to my pastor and and this great host of people that I'm privileged to work with, I'm I, I'm in the place, Bishop, where I get to rub shoulders with you and Brother Turner and Brother Sleva and these other great uh, elders of the faith that have shaped me and spoken to my life in more ways than I can articulate or even try to express the thankfulness that I feel. Um, but I also look around and I see peers like Brother Gallion, and we don't tell each other stories. Thank the Lord. And we made it. Hallelujah. The Lord's grace is good, and He helps us in our inadequacies. And now I'm at the place where I look around and I see students that have become my peers in ministry, and I mean that uh, absolutely. And uh, seeing people that you've had your hands on, and I, I feel like I'm living between giants that God has raised a generation and I'm somewhere in the middle of something and I can look around and the kingdom is in great hands because it's in His hands and He's equipped His people. And that includes you to exactly what Brother Turner just said. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of fear about our future because I, I trust what the Lord is doing and what I see uh, Him doing by His Spirit. I want to go quickly to two passages Let's just go to one. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and then uh, you, I'll let you be seated. Thank you, worship team. Wow. Blaze, uh, this whole team. And I thank you for all of you who got the media working that I probably messed up, which I apologize for. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, the apostle Peter is writing by the Spirit of God, Revelation. Aren't you glad you have revelation? You're not limited to your own ideas. You don't have to walk in your own understanding. That if you will absolutely submit to the sufficiency of this book for the guidance of your life, with the power of the Spirit, you can do everything God needs you to do. The Apostle Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I want to preach choosing faith, not fear. Would you pray with me today? 
Lord, your spirit is so near. We thank you for your touch always, God. There really is nothing that we can do in our flesh. Without you, we can do nothing, Lord. But with you, we can accomplish the task that you've given us. I pray you'd help me as I try to preach what you've given me. Help me to be clear, Lord. Help me to preach with the conviction that I feel in my heart so that your people can be shaped, your body can be edified, and we'll thank you for all things, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Choosing faith, not fear. I, I, I wrestle always with titles. I, I, I'm going to go to a couple places in Scripture, but we're going to look at a particularly one example in the Word of God, and we're going to spend a little time learning what I believe the Lord wants to show us in this uh, great thing that we have called the, the Bible. It's about leadership, but it's not only about leadership. This will, this will help fathers lead, and it will help mothers follow, and it will help homes be protected. So while I know my audience, and I am going to aim this at leadership, the principle is larger. The Bible's going to show us that when we begin to walk with the Lord, we walk through processes and always get a little nervous when students begin to talk about their call of God because I always know that with the call of God comes a process. There's an importance there, and I think what the Apostle Peter is trying to convey is we can skip no necessary process. You cannot afford to forsake formation and take the shortcut out of decision-making that's critical to getting you into the future that God wants to hand you. So I'm going to go in the Old Testament and we're going to look at what that section of the Bible where Jesus says in Luke 24, 44, he says, I, 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 he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So there are things, Brother Wall Brown, that God shows us in these things that we call history books that are actually preaching to us because they're former prophets. There are things that are exemplified on what a leader should do, what a, a true servant of the Lord, how a leader should act in the office of ministry because all of these things are examples to point us to the King of kings and the Lord of lords so that we can know how we ought to behave, as the apostle would say, in the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. If anybody ought to know how to lead, it's the people of God with the word of God and the Spirit of God that knows how to operate before the Lord with blessing. So I want to show you that there is a paradigm in Scripture. You get this through not just reading but studying Scripture and then correlating Scripture. And I'm gonna, I want to lay out a case for three things that God does when He calls a leader, a biblical pattern. There's, first of all, there's a private anointing. You could call this the step of designation. And then secondly, there's a step where the person that is anointed by God is called to make a public stand. And you could call that the act of demonstration. 
And then thirdly, after that private anointing and empowerment and that public stand, there is a sovereign endorsement that happens in the mix of the human community where God shows that the person that will follow him and take a stand is empowered by him. And that brings the third step, confirmation. Confirmation of people. So that private anointing or designation is that individual, but they're called, again, to demonstrate in action that they're empowered by God to lead by some act of faith. And there's always going to be a crisis. There's always going to be a situation. There's always going to be pressure. But somebody is going to take a stand for God and demonstrate that they may not be like their peers. God is calling them to the forefront to light them up and demonstrate to this generation, this is the lady, this is the man that I have called for this hour can reflect, and we won't spend time here on Gideon, who's called a mighty man of valor. And I, I don't have time to preach it, but he doesn't look so mighty because, Brother Turner, he's just doing what his hand's trying to do. He's maybe even doing it in a way that's hidden, but he's struggling with trying to do the right thing for his family and his people. And I just want to encourage somebody today that you may be struggling to try to do the right thing, and maybe you don't think anybody understands who you are, but there is a God that is watching your actions in the midst of pressure. There's a God that's more than that. He's using the pressure to demonstrate something. To separate, they would say, the men from the boys and the women from the girls. And he's called to cut down Bell's Grove. And I wish we had time to deal with his name change. It'd be nice to have a name that every time they spoke it, it made fun of false doctrine. Let Bell answer for himself. Zerubbabel. And that action that, that then changed his name became an endorsement. And the people of God aligned themselves with Gideon. The same with David, who's anointed at home. But then he's called to face Goliath. And then the song of the people as David is slain, or Saul is slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Why? Because they recognize the hand of God is on him. Or like Jephthah, who was called by God and yet excluded by his brethren, and he's pushed off into the land of Tob. What are you going to do if, if God anoints you to do something and it seems like nobody's going to give you an opportunity? Can I even say, maybe even church people shut doors instead of open them for you. Are you going to demonstrate that you can walk by faith and just take the anointing of God and the touch of God and the call of God as enough? And I don't need anybody opening up opportunities to me because when the Lord gets ready, His brethren are bringing him back in and they need him. They need a man of war. He's been shaped by just being faithful in the task that God called him to in that frontier region. And he's had to fight because he's pressed to the edge where nobody else wants to go. And the fact that he was faithful right there prepared him to step into his future. Joshua, the angel, comes and tells him and he speaks to him in that private thing and but tomorrow we're going over, and you need to go tell them, tomorrow we're going over. You mean before the river dries up? There's always the call to faith before there's confirmation. If you wait for confirmation, you will never move. 
There's always the call of obedience to step in when it's hard, to step in when there's no signs of provision, to just say yes to wherever you want to plant me in ministry, God. I don't care if I see the finances. I don't care if I see the provision. If you call me, that's enough. The people follow. Joshua says to the Lord, says to Joshua, rather, in chapter 3, verse 7, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel. Why? That they may know. They need the assurance, Joshua, that you're called by me. And the reason that I brought you to the Jordan in the worst. Listen, don't, 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 get, don't fuss and cuss at your circumstances. You ready? Don't, don't, don't operate in faith, not fear. When you're standing at the river of impossibility, the question will be, do you understand that God says, I'm going to take you over, and this situation is necessary? Because if you don't learn to walk in faith now, they will not follow you in the future. There are seven nations mightier than you, Joshua, and i got to teach them that you can hear from me. Well, you got to choose faith when you hear from the Lord. You got to walk in faith. That's why you come here and money dries up. That's why you come here and situations happen at home that tempt you to shortcut this process and not have faith and operate in fear and forsake your formation and you don't get into your future. But somebody is going to choose to walk by faith. I feel like my task today, I have to, I want to preach a lot. I got to focus always. But I feel like today my job is to save, to save futures. I know that's a, a, a broad statement, but I feel like my, day, my job today is to help maybe somebody in this room to avoid the biggest traps in ministry. The biggest traps in life and in serving God and informed by revelation. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to show you in the Word of God the way forward because God's means and God's methods and God's ways are real and leadership from the carnality and the flesh is limited. So let's go to the Word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 10. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8, Samuel the prophet speaking to Saul, and let it be when these signs are come. I'm going to help you. Uh, I'm not going to leave you on your own. How many of you know when the Lord spoke to you? Anybody ever ask for confirmation? I really just, you know. So Saul, he says, I, I understand your weakness. I'm going I'm to do some things. And when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do. If you highlight in your Bible, that's a great word to highlight. That thou do as occasion serve thee. Why? For God is with thee. <clears throat> now shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice, sacrifices and peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and, I, and shew thee what thou should do. And now what we expect in the word of God is for Saul to go, okay, <clears throat> the signs are come, I'm going to Gilgal. Why is the trip to Gilgal not made until chapter 13? Are these contradictory commands? Is the word of God not clear? And maybe, maybe there's this other postulation. 
Turner, that there are redactors, these editors that slice things into the narrative. They just didn't get the arrangement good enough. I, you know, and I, I understand, Brother Herbst, we've talked long about what the position uh, should be when you're talking about whether or not things were updated or, or edited or compiled over time. And ed- saying an editor and a redactor is very different than saying some books like Psalms were compiled over time. But that's not what's going on. You don't need to postulate a redactor. Can I just help the good apostolic movement for a moment? You future leaders need to understand you don't need to look for redactors and editors in the Bible. This is revelation from God. Well, what is it trying to reveal, Brother Kilman, that the, the revelation of God's process for anointed leaders? It's something like this in two points. The possibility of the second victory in Gilgal is contingent on the fulfillment of the first battle at the hill of God. Let me say it another way. Your yes to God now opens opportunity for you to say yes again. But your no to God now may shut opportunities for you to say yes to God in the future. The formation of your heart in this trial is about every trial that comes after it. What are you talking about, Brother Kilman? The absolute necessity of walking by faith. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. I wish I could just pause there and teleport back in time and listen to Brother Mooney preach on that for about an hour again. You cannot, you need to understand that there is a war inside of you and there is a lust of the flesh that fights against the following of the spirit and you need to know that that battle is in every one of us. These are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. Brother Turner, you're so fond of telling this story. Forgive me for sharing it again here. But Brother Mooney said in a class, there is a darkness coming on your generation. Not of sin, but of thinking you can do it yourself. And he said, you will fail, you will fail, you will fail. He's saying, don't try to do ministry on your own. Don't try to do life on your own. Don't try to do your marriage on your own. Don't try to have a church on your own. You can in your flesh do nothing. So the first step is a private anointing, the step of designation. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. The previous chapter closes with as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid thy servant pass over before us. This is not going to be public. It's going to be private. Normally your call happens in a moment where it's just you and Jesus. Occasionally the Lord will use somebody to speak like Saul into your, or Samuel into your life. And I get that. All I'm saying is normally it's private, not some spectacularly public thing. Pass on before us. Get, get, bid your servant before us. Pass on. He passed on. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, Then, after everybody else is gone, Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is, not, uh, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Call Then God does something beautiful. He helps his weakness. 
He gives him, he says, I'm going to give you three signs to confirm your new status because I know you live with you and you don't think this is you. (laughs) Because it's not you until God changes you by his anointing and his power. He said, when thou art departed from me, thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin and uh, Zelzah, and, and they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, the, uh, thy father hath uh, left the care of the asses and sorrow for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Then thou shalt go forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and, 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 and there shall meet three men going up to God to Bethel, and one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they shall salute thee, give thee two loaves of bread, and thou shalt receive of their hand. So I'm going to help you in your weakness by giving you these signs. Now look at what the Bible says. After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with psaltery and a tabard and a pipe and a harp and before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. So what does that mean, Brother Kilman? The third sign will occur at the hill of God where the garrisons of the Philistines is. It's not a redactor. It's not an editor. It's revelatory. Saul, you've been anointed. You go look at 1 Samuel 9, 16 on your own. Saul is anointed by God to deal with the Philistines. He's called and anointed and empowered. And the Bible says the Spirit will change him for that task. So the direction he's already received is essential to understanding his passage. Because now he's in step number two. You got to walk by faith. And here is the first failure of Saul. He fails to walk by faith. He misses the step of demonstration. And when Samuel says, let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, or, uh, uh, thou shalt do as occasion serve thee, for, for God is with thee. There's a garrison of the Philistines there. You're called to deal with them. What are you going to do with that garrison of the Philistines? Are you going to operate in faith? Or are you going to operate in fear? It's a military commission, a charge regarding the Philistines, not the Ammonites of chapter 11, 1 through 11. You can see that God has already called him to deal with the Philistine. After the anointing and the signs confirming is designation. You're the one I've empowered you. What ought he to do in faith? Demonstrate. Act in faith. Go to Gilgal and watch God deliver it. But he fails to operate in faith. He operates in fear. So step number three is no endorsement, no confirmation. No demonstration to the people of God that you're anointed by God. And so now you don't have the endorsement of the people. I'm going to say it again. If you don't learn to walk by faith now, how are you going to lead people in the future? If they do not trust that you can hear from your Lord and look hell and circumstances right in the eye and say, this is where we need to go. If you can't demonstrate that, you will not receive the endorsement of the people of God. You have to learn to walk by faith. 
you got to humble yourself to the processes of God. And instead of trying to pray yourself out of every circumstance, you need to say, Lord, whatever you're trying to shape in me, let me be shaped because I know there is a future that's coming that I have to be equipped for. And you love me too much to let me get there unprepared. What does Saul do? He's waiting for public confirmation. That's stage three, Saul. You can't shortcut any process. As soon as you do what your hands find to do, attack the Philistine garrison. And Samuel says, I I will come to you. And and then all the people will follow because you're going to have this great testimony of what God can do. This act of faith will only be the beginning of what God will do. So demonstrate to the people that you're a man of faith and can follow God. And you will follow God's anointing, not the army of Israel. I I, I know Saul's heart is, in this moment, it's not shaped, it's not grown, it's not aligned. It's the people... uh, The people's trust is not one to the right king, a king of faith, a king of trust. And the enemy is not provoked to come out against them because Saul refuses to do what his hands find to do. How many times does God have to tell us to do his will? How many prayer meetings do you have to be in? How many sermons do you have to hear? At some point, you have to be grown to the place where one time is enough. And then he can trust you with bigger things. I'm trying to help somebody's future right now. That's why you got to quit saying, God, show me for the 26th time that I'm called to preach. Tell me for the 125th time that I'm called to ministry. God is saying, you got to learn to hear my voice and just walk in my voice. When, when things are not conducive to the natural eyes, you got to walk by what you see in the Spirit. you got to learn my voice, know my voice, and obey my voice. And Saul's private anointing is designation, and that public stands is demonstration, and that sovereign endorsement vindicated is the confirmation of the people, and It's interesting that after the Ammonite victory, only Saul seems cautious about about the kingship in chapter 12 because he's hiding. And I know we think that's humility. I don't don't think it's humility, Brother Uh, Turner. You can correct me on that and come help me, and we're peers. But I I don't think think he's hiding because uh, of, of humility. I think he's hiding because he's fearful and he hasn't learned to trust God yet. He could already have seen at the garrison of the Philistines that God was going to use him. That's why when everybody else is wanting to anoint a king, they have to go find him hiding in the stuff. And the kingship will still face the future test that it missed in the first stage. I'm going to encourage somebody today. Somebody will act in faith. Somebody will have the confirmation of God on their life and be seen as a person who can act by faith. And it's not incidental that Jonathan is recorded in Holy Writ next saying, I can do what an anointed king should do. Because what does Jonathan do? He sees the opportunity and he asks God. It's like, maybe, maybe you'll be with us. I know that, I know that the enemy shouldn't occupy the hill of God. 
I don't know, God, if it's your specific will for me to take that hill, but somebody ought to plant a church in that town because there's no apostolic witness there. And if you just give me half a clue that I'm the one you're going to use, I'll go do the hard work. I'll stay and walk by faith. I'll face every devil in hell because you have commissioned me and anointed me to do the task. And Jonathan, acting with the faith of a king, instead of counting on the people, says, God can, he can move by many or by few. And he can, it can be just me and you, armor bearer. And, and you know what he gets? <laughs> he gets the confirmation of the armor bearer. Because the armor bearer says, with faith like that, whatever's in your heart to do, do it, and I'm with you. And you're looking for the affirmation of people. And I'm going to tell you, you need to quit seeking the affirmation of people. You need to look for the affirmation of heaven. And when you get the affirmation of heaven, the people of God will see the affirmation of heaven. And that's what they're going to follow. And there's a rebuke, and it's not excessively sharp. It's subtle in Scripture. That's why you got to study Scripture. There's something pivotal in the shaking, shaping of Israel's king that is off. That same garrison that will become the object of Jonathan's aggression, Jonathan's gifting, Jonathan's faith, is what Saul should have dealt with. They smote, and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 13, that Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geban. And then all, and, and notice what the Bible says in in verse 4 of chapter 13, and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. It's not Saul. It's his son. And he's willing to take credit for somebody else's faith. Why? Because it gets him power with people. Quit claiming other people's testimonies. Quit telling everybody else's stories as if they're yours. Quit trying to attract people to your ministry and your church so that you can say you have growth. Go demonstrate that the Lord is... I'm going to tell you, God's going to light some of you up. He's going to show the entire world this is a man and a woman of faith that doesn't have to lean on somebody else's story. They have their own walk with me because they choose to operate in faith, not fear. This could have been Saul's testimony. Israel was also in the, uh, uh, was an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Now we're finally getting to Gilgal. The Bible says in verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man, Well, we already talked about it. I, I don't have time. What is the, rela- the, the, the results of the lack of formation of Saul's faith? Doing what... Uh, His son doing what he should do. The result in Saul's heart. The results are real. Listen, if you don't walk in faith, what is the result of not trusting God? The need to get things done in ministry has to have a source. And as a result of not trusting in God, Saul begins trusting in his ability to move people, to gather people then to manipulate people, and finally to control people. And you're going to be tempted in ministry if you don't learn to walk by faith. I got to have the ability to move people emotionally. 
I got to have the ability to gather people into my church by my own impulses. And, I, and then I have to manipulate them to stay and control them to keep them from leaving. It results in manipulation of the people and resentment of those who do act in faith like David. It becomes more interested at the end of the day, Saul does, in what people think. Uh, I'm here, and Brother Levi, uh, the prophet said he was going to come. No, no, he was going to come after you acted in faith. And he says, okay, I'm here. Okay, now the people are running, hiding, and here's the test again. Do I trust in people? Do I try to skip to step three? Or do I trust in what God called me to do? And so what does he do? He brashly enters into uh, what he should never do. And, and, and other than seek, seeking what was right in God's eyes, he turns to spiritual manipulation. And 1 Samuel 14, he forces a fast. And I wish we had time to deal with it in detail. Nobody's going to eat until we get this victory, Brother King. And if anybody eats, they die. And you, you, start, you start manipulating people to get your task done, you'll do all sorts of things that, uh, that oppose you. If you think somebody crosses you, you'll pull out a sword and cut their ever-living head off. You'll learn to throw javelins real quick at God's anointed. And what Samuel uh, ends up doing is coming and at, at the appropriate time. But there he is, Bishop. He's just he's learning to manipulate things in his flesh. And I'm going I'm to force a fast. And what does Jonathan do? Jonathan comes down after this massive victory. And he comes through and there's this valley and everybody's on this forced fast that was started by a king manipulating the people because he doesn't want them stopping to eat and because my enemies might get away. It's not a fast for the Lord. It's hurry and get this done and I don't care if it costs you food. What he ends up doing is something uh, horribly manipulative. Manipulating spiritual things because he's never learned to trust God. Bless God, I'm the pastor. You need to submit. And you can fall into the trap of manipulating spiritual things for your own gain and protection. When are you going to learn just to trust God? Save yourself from the darkest traps in ministry. Save yourself from a future of us all. And instead be a Jonathan. Lord, it just may be. And, and whatever the, where the chips fall, they fall. I'm going to choose faith, not fear. So what does he do? He, he goes and he, Jonathan comes along. He hasn't heard the command. There's this uh, valley that the Lord has uh, supplied, in my view. I, I think Jonathan says it, and it's honey's dripping. He just takes his staff, dips down, takes a little bit, because it's kind of like eating a Snickers bar right you know, before the day's over. It's like a little power charge, get a little uh, sustenance. Can I get an amen? I'm just Snickers. Hallelujah. And then what does Saul do? Well, uh, who broke the vow? Whoever it is, they're going to die. And Saul's ready to kill his own son. You can get to the place where if you don't learn to trust God, you'll, you'll kill anybody, step on anybody, manipulate anybody, even your own son, your own child. What, what happens? The people say, no, 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 you're not going to do that, Saul. Only the people of God stop Saul from killing his own son. He's already in such a dark place. And I've seen teens do it, young adults, men and women, mothers and fathers and families all become more interested in what people think than what is actually right. Disobedience. 
Man, come, who's praying today? Travis, come put, put pressure on me, man of God. Disobedience. Saul's leaving things alive and kings that should die unaddressed, leaving things unengaged that are going to rise up and slay his sons later in 1 Samuel 31. There he is arguing with the word, arguing with the prophet of God. Instead of obeying all the word of God, he starts to justify. There's a rebuke in 1 Samuel 15, 17. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head over the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. But then you became big with the title and big when you got a job and big when you got a position. You came, became big with the following. You became big when you embraced your celebrity status and started asking for autographs. Started taking your position very seriously, didn't you? Because you begin to lean on what your position could give you and control could give you and your image can give you instead of God. What does is, what is, what is Samuel or Saul say to Samuel? I, I repent. No, he's so jaded now because of his lack of faith in God. Why would he listen to the prophet? Chapter 15, verse 30, he says, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. You know, confession can be not tied to repentance. I, you're right, you caught me. I'm not really repenting. I just want to keep my position. If you don't deal with that spirit in you now, that flaw in you now, Saul, you're going to destroy your future. Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and, and before Israel. I just want to look good in front of the staff. I want to look good in front of the peers at IBC. I don't want to pay the price and, and be humble. And, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Notice, not my God. Thy God. I'm just going to hit it one more time. We don't have to postulate redactors to make sense of the order. The revelation is Saul failed in the first assignment. His dependency on God must be one, and it's the word of God revealing to leaders. You've got to learn to walk by faith, not fear. And that's why the faithless Saul is hiding from a public anointing. And that's why he's cringing in the face of a giant larger than him. What if he obeyed what God wanted? What if he had done what his son did? How different may the story of Saul be? He's a cautionary tale for you and for me to think about what not walking by faith cost you. It costs you formation that protects you from manipulation. Stand with me. What are you saying today, Brother Kilman? Here's, here's what Saul's life teaches us. Fear God, not people. 
Seek integrity with God, not the acclaim of the crowd. And if you are not shaped by faith, you will learn to lean on your flesh, and the flesh will produce more flesh. So choose faith, not fear. Because David, somewhere on the hill, just him and Jesus, and well, the Lord is going to be the Jesus. Jesus, but it's broken Jesus. He's just with the Lord learning to handle battles and private wars and things that no one else really knows about. He's just being faithful for his dad in this little place. And, and it's the faith, and we know that it's the faithfulness in the little place. Contrast that with Saul. If you choose fear, you will have to control and manipulate outcomes. Save yourself from the heartache of that. And turn your life over, release it to faith in God. Somebody's going to have incredible stories of victory like Jonathan. It's like the, uh, the IBC uh, student that's now gone on to ministry and is helping. He walked up to me at a camp where they were, uh, we were preaching. I had a wonderful time. I was teaching during the day, you know, being crazy like I do. And... Uh, he walks up to me and he's talking and, you know, you're there to touch the ministry teams. And, and, I, and, and, and this young lady comes up just pressing, you know, and he's like, okay, I'm trying to entertain Brother Kim. And he was trying to be discreet, but he's like, yes, you know, and kind of like a half an ear. And she said, uh, uh, listen, she said, uh, 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 I want to, I, I need to talk to you about something. He said, okay, what, what do you need? She said, I, I want to start a P7 in my high school. And, it's, it, and he said, okay, I want to help you do that. We're going to do that. We're going to pray. I'm going to help you get set up, and we're going to do that together. And she walked away, and, and Christian turned and looked at me, and he said, Brother Kilman, you don't understand. He said, that young lady tried to commit suicide a year ago. But now she came into the house of God, and he's just a youth pastor. Somebody's going to have those type of stories because they choose to walk in faith and not fear. So here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you right now to surrender every bit of the temptation to manipulate, to count on people, to get over your own people skills. You're going you're to develop people skills, but you need to get over yourself. Quit trying to manipulate outcomes in the little things right now because they will be devastating in the future. And you have to say, God, help me to get over myself. Help me to stay little in my own eyes because that's the only way forward. So I'm calling you. To surrender your future right now by acting in faith, not fear. Would you slip a hand up and just begin to ask the Lord, help me to look at every situation through faith. Help me, God, to, to work hard, to do everything. I'm not going to be lazy and blame it on Jesus' provision. But I'm going to work hard. But I need to learn, Lord, that you're going to help me with my finances, that my faithfulness is all I can give you. My obedience is all I can give you. But after I have done everything to stand, I need to just stand, therefore, and see the mighty hand of God at work in my life. You are my source of provision. And when the devil tries to tempt you away with fear, not, not, I'm not saying the situation is of the devil at home. I know there's sickness and setbacks and complexities in your own home life. If you don't learn to trust your family to God now, how in the world are you going to trust the church to him? 
You need to say, I can trust that youth group. I can trust my family to God. He called me here. I'm going to operate in faith and not fear because you can do there what I can't do there, Lord. And I'm going to stay right here in formation. As uncomfortable as it is, as, as tempting as it is to run away from the process, I am not. I'm going to, I'm going to be a man of faith. I'm going to be a woman of faith. I'm not going to be a man of fear. I'm going to yield to the temptation of the enemy to shortcut my formation. Come on, slip up your hand. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with Jesus. Life is way too big. Too many large battles loom in our future, Lord, for us to not trust your shaping now into us these little battles, the things that we need that will help us win large battles later. 